Well, I hope everyone is well this morning, and it is a privilege to, um, to get to preach the Word of God this morning in uh, Pastor Gary's absence. And I want to this morning, um, you probably guessed it, I want to finish off the um, Beatitudes, and I started them quite a while ago, and we're finishing this morning on the topic of persecution. And um, it's a very deep, heavy subject. There's a lot could be said about it. So I've condensed it this morning and hopefully I'll convey what I think um, the Beatitude, the particular Beatitude, the last one, number eight, is getting at. So we just ask for the Lord's blessing this morning. Lord, that you just greatly bless one and all here. And... Um, just um, help me, Lord, this morning to, to put across your word correctly and accurately and um, maybe life unto us all this morning. 1 Timothy 2, verse, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. And I'll just read that for you. We all know it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction in righteousness, for correction, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And we do acknowledge this morning that the Lord's word is perfect. And I look at each of those topics there. I pray it's profitable this morning for us. I pray that um, it's good for doctrine for us this morning, uh, for reproof if we need it, and for instruction in righteousness. And we thank the Lord. So I wanted just to, to uh, go back and do for the last time just a reading of that particular chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and the Beatitudes themselves. And reading there it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I guess this last one, it's sort of a, a double-barreled one. It goes on further to say, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for, for my sake. And again, the, the, uh, the reward or the, 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 the compliment is, is, is double-sided as well. Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. So um, the last time I spoke on the topic of the peacemakers, and uh, we uh, learned quite a bit from that, but just on the topic or on the theme of the Beatitudes in general, just a very, very quick recap. We learned that they're paradoxical and they're... Um, they're contradictory when we read them. They don't 
necessarily make sense. It wouldn't make sense to, to someone who was not perhaps um, saved or, or um, understood the things of the Spirit. And it's by the Holy Spirit that these particular Beatitudes are at work in us, so we don't strive to get them. And we looked at number one a long time back, the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, and it's the realization that we're absolutely lost but for the grace of God, and that there's nothing that we can bring God that will earn us our salvation. That was the first one. Number two, we spoke about mourning, and it was really taking sin seriously and understanding what sin means to a holy and a righteous God, and it's a very serious matter. Number three, then, was meekness, and that our behavior should change as believers. You know, as the Lord tames us, there should be some evidence in our walk, and uh, you'll often you hear it said about somebody, they're so different than what the, way, the way they were before, or a person will give a testimony, and they'll relate what they were like before they came to know the Lord and what they're like now. So there should be change, and the Lord is working on us and, and uh, breaking us if necessary. Number four was the hungry. And uh, we spoke there about the desire to obey and to please God, and understanding what his imputed righteousness meant, and the requirement for us, again, probably on the same thought of, of outworking, that we have righteousness also, that is righteousness evident in our walk. And number five then was the merciful. And we, we learned there that we know well that we have benefited from God's great mercy. And in return or in turn, we should be willing to extend mercy and, and grace to others. The pure in heart. Well, we have Pastor Gary here speak for two weeks on, on the topic of the heart and why it's important to tend to and to look after the heart. So the heart is, a, is a, another deep topic and trying to even define what the heart is. And the overlap it is between the, the emotions, the mind, the spirit, what makes up the heart, and why we need to look after it. And of course, then the last time we spoke about the peacemakers, and uh, we looked at how Jesus has established peace, and it was at a tremendous price between us, sinful man, and God, almighty, righteous God. And, um, you know, we were once enemies, and he's broken down that middle wall of separation, which we heard about this morning. And we too now should carry that same gospel into a world that's, that's heading rapidly to destruction and it's lost and it's dying. So the, the Beatitudes, they're definitely opposite of, of the characteristics of this world. You know, the, the pleasure-seeking, the, the, um, the emphasis on number one, on self, and promoting self, and on all these worldly things, the Beatitudes are the diametric opposite. And um, they are very powerful verses. They do fundamentally challenge the system of this world. And we see that because of that, and because of our walk, there's a fundamental difference between the values of a Christian and the values of, a world, of the world. And that in itself often results in persecution, which we'll hopefully see a little bit about this morning. So we read the passage, and... Um, just began by way of introduction, we go through those Beatitudes and, um, you know, we look at the development of our character and of our, and of our um, walk before the Lord and, uh, you know, we're patient, we persevere, the Lord works on us and shapes on us and we get these Beatitudes that are pleasing to God and then we sort of say then, you know, what, what's the reward for that, you know, are we, 
going to have a comfortable and a trouble-free life? Are we going to be popular? And the answer is no. You know, the end of all this is persecution, that just as they hated Jesus, likewise, they're going to hate you because you follow Jesus. They're going to hate me as well. And it'll be evidence in, in, in various ways. And we come to that point in our life where we realize that, you know, there's a, a clear difference in how the world lives and in how we live. And uh, it should be evident. And uh, those differences, as we look at what's going on in the world and, you know, the world's heading towards judgment, they become starker and uh, more emphasized. So the world is not really our friend at all. And what it comes down to ultimately is light and darkness. And I wanted to read uh, from a scripture every Christian would know, starting in John 3.16, but I want to go a little bit further uh, down as far as verse 21, just to, um, to set the, the, uh, the theme this morning. So reading in John 3.16, which we all know, it says there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believed on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, they are wrought, that they are wrought in God. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are, this morning we're supposed to be salt and light. You know, when you look at the world, there's only two categories of people. There's the saved and there's the condemned. One group loves the light. As believers this morning, we should love the light. The other group, it either lives in, stumbles in, walks in, or is given over completely to darkness. You know, I just made a note here. I remember uh, Sean Bevick, who's with the Lord now, and he used to, um, when he was out uh, on the street witnessing, he would uh, use what I think was one of his favorite lines. He would say that those who love sin are like cockroaches. They love the dark and the nighttime, but they flee from the light. And um, he repeated that so many different times. But it's a very good picture. You know, if you do see cockroaches at nighttime when you turn your light on in the kitchen, they scarper very, very quickly. And many times, you know, in the spiritual um, comparison, exposure to light for the, uh, by, by us, Lord, by who we are, you know, by just our walk or by the words we say, it's going to get a negative response. So this last beatitude has two parts, really. Firstly, persecution, and secondly, reviling and false accusation. Now, persecution can come in many different forms, and uh, it can even result in death. And reviling is, I guess, it's a subset or um, something, a subset of, of persecution. It's um, really, I guess, 
the use of words and taunts and whatever to, uh, to attack us. And, um, you know, evil words. And then similarly, we read there's two parts to the reward, which I mentioned. There's access to the kingdom of heaven. And you find that's the same reward as the first beatitude for, for the poor in spirit. And um, there's great reward in heaven as well. So there's sort of a double, a double end to, or a double edge to the, the promise for this last beatitude. Now, I wondered who was the first person to be persecuted in the Bible. And yeah, that was actually exactly it. The, the first one that came to me was Cain and Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis. So the insufficiency of Cain's sacrifice, was, it was exposed uh, compared to his brother Abel. And it resulted in Cain being effectively you know, martyred. He died. He was murdered for his righteous stand. So it starts right back at the very beginning. And it's, it's, it's followed right through Bible history, and it's right with us here today. Now, I asked the question here, do we have persecution in Australia? And um, here's just a couple of prompts just to make us think. So I said here, when was the last time that somebody burst into the, this, this morning meeting or somebody came in to blow themselves up and the rest of us here as well? When was the last time that somebody was arrested and wasn't seen in the church perhaps for a couple of years? Or when was the last time that a home Bible study was raided by the authorities? Or how many churches recently have been closed down or burnt down in Melbourne? Or when was the last time somebody lost their job perhaps because they were a Christian? And, um, you know, if we're honest, we'd have to say that life for a Christian Australia or other Western countries is comparatively trouble-free uh, compared to many, many nations. You know, and uh, if you read the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which, which I haven't done for a while, you know, it becomes evident that um, this was not always the case. And uh, right through up to not that many hundreds of years ago, all over Europe and, and all over the Western countries, people were giving their lives and were being martyred for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. Now, I watched some reports recently about uh, persecution that goes on with our brothers and sisters in China, and it was quite eye-opening. You know, it's not unusual over there for brothers or sisters to have been in jail on multiple occasions. And um, one particular thing that caught my attention was, and it really moved me, it concerned a sister in the Lord, Chinese sister, and she was arrested, and um, she had a, a terrible time. She was chained to the bars of the cell, like that, and she was suspended effectively from the bars by the, by the handcuffs over a very lengthy period. And um, she was just uh, repeatedly beaten by a group of, of uh, police. In fact, they even got tired beating her, and they take turns in beating her. And her hands turned black just from being suspended over that long period, and you know, she got some pretty, pretty serious injuries. And she was almost beaten to death. She was then forced to sign a confession you know, they, they wrote this confession out and they took her thumb and, and pressed it onto confession. Then she was tried. Then she was sentenced to three years in prison. Now, not only was it just uh, three years in prison, she was sent to the re-education re unit in, in that prison. And uh, she underwent horrific psychological th torture. But she managed to survive. She didn't uh, give away the uh, details. This is what they really wanted, the details of the other believers details about the finances or 
you know, all, all the information that the authorities would want on that underground church. And she didn't deny Jesus. When she went back to her village, her, she had elderly parents, and she had to leave and go on to run for the sake of them because, because of her notoriety, they would have been persecuted also. Now, I'm sure there's many, many similar accounts, or even worse. And the amazing thing is that these brothers and sisters remain so committed to their walk with Jesus. And uh, I'm sure, though, like, I mean, the reality is, too, that there are others who would have fallen away. There are others who would not have been able to withstand the degree of humiliation and torture and beating there. You know, the accounts of uh, persecution in the... Um, the life of Richard Wormbrand, which I mentioned here a couple of times before, they're very, very confronting. And all the stories didn't end with good endings, you know, in, in the case of Romania, what, what went on there. There was many Christians who broke down, and he reported of it, and it's described. You know, he, he gave a real account. Many broke down, many lost their minds, many renounced their faith, the faith, I should say. Many um, gave away, their brothers betrayed them. Women turned to prostitution. Families broke up. That's the horrific side of it. And that's the reality. That happened. And um, I don't know how I'd react. I don't know how we'd react if we're put in a similar situation. And um, I don't know if we can really say until that day comes. And that day, may, it may come. God give us the strength to overcome if that ever happens, is all I can pray. When I was a young Christian back in 1996, I was only a Christian for about three or four years at the time, I went to uh, Myanmar, which was formerly Burma, and um, it was under a fairly harsh military regime. It still is. It's had some sort of um, experiments with so-called democracy in between, but it's got a harsh regime again there. And it was wonderful there to, to be able to minister to to teach and to be able to share with the uh, Chin people, who are one of the Christian tribes. And they're extremely persecuted. And you won't see it on the news, but um, there's villages regularly being burnt down and people just being, being murdered, beheaded, all sorts of things, horrific things are happening there. And I learned over there what persecution could be, but not for me personally, because um, in my own in, in experience, I just did something that wasn't actually very, very wise. I went to visit brothers and sisters in a hospital. And I went in with another Australian brother. And we did it without really getting the approval or advice of those who were our hosts. And um, I guess we thought we were doing the right thing. And we ministered to people in there. But we got pulled in by the military police, actually. And uh, we got a bit of a grilling. And, you know, that wasn't very nice. But I learned after in talking to our hosts that the consequences of that were that they probably would suffer for our actions. And it weighed very, very heavily on me. And I, I know one of the brothers here in church this morning has described similar things in North Korea, where if somebody steps out of line there or uh, is caught uh, preaching Christ or ministering, the whole family can be put away in prison. So these things are real. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's the reality of it. Reality of it. So, but to come back to the question, you know, is there really persecution here? I don't think we really understand what persecution is in Australia. We probably understand what reviling is. 
We may get jeered at or sneered at from time to time, but that's nothing really. And um, we may miss out on the odd job opportunity, you know, if it's known who we are. Those things go on in the background. But that's, it's pretty soft stuff, really, when we think about it. You know, in reality here, we're still benefiting from the sacrifices made by Christians of generations ago. And ma many Christians gave their lives that we can have the, uh, the, uh, the remnants of democracy and religious freedom, the Judeo-Christian foundations, and things which are still, even to a lesser degree, um, pertaining here. And, uh, you know, we should be thankful for that. And, you know, is it going to remain that way? Well, it's probably not. It's, it is gradually changing here day by day. It is getting darker. I think uh, anybody who's, who, um, perhaps older, who remember what it was years ago, perhaps if you're growing up at it now, it's, it's, it's not so evident, but there's big, big changes that have happened here, you know, in 20 or 30 years. And it's going to keep going that way. And, um, you know, should we look for persecution? I don't think so. And do we, or do we need it for purification and benefit? Probably yes. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit why, I'm, why I say that after. So there is an inevitability, I think, of persecution. We know the scripture in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, which I'll just read. It says there, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we should not be surprised because our theme scripture tells us that those who've gone before us, long before us, the prophets, many others, many other saints, they were persecuted also. And to me, it's a, it, is, it really is a given that Christians are going to attract the critical attention of the world. And it's just similar to the same sort of attention that the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, gets. It's a spiritual thing that's going on. Satan hates the church, and Satan hates Israel. And um, they're both going to be persecuted and attacked. And they both suffer greatly through the ages, if we, you look at history. Jesus tells us very, very clearly that uh, we're going to be persecuted. If we read John 15, um, 20 to 21, the words of Jesus. Sorry, let me just find the right page. 15, 20 to 21. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. I guess that's really the important part of that verse, for his name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The apostles were the first to experience this after those words from Jesus. Reasons for persecution. You know, there's lots of non-Christian people who experience persecution. You'll be familiar with the news over the last few years, the, the Rohingya people, also in, in the nation of Myanmar, which I've mentioned, the Uyghurs in China, or the Falun Gong in China. Even Hitler, he didn't only persecute the Jews, he persecuted the Romani peoples, the Romani peoples and other, others also. And these things happen because of the fallen nature of man, mankind. 
there's not necessarily any spiritual benefit for those people in that type of persecution. The fruit in that case, it may be generational or racial hatred or maybe the desire for revenge. And similarly for the believer, there's no benefit if we as believers, if we're persecuted for the wrong reasons. So if we, if we bring attention on ourselves for the wrong reason, it's, it's not the right thing to do. So if it, it's no good if we are persecuted because of our wrong actions or our hatred or wrong motives. You know, the theme scripture tells us that it should be both for righteousness sake and for Christ's sake if you read those two verses. So they're the two, two guiding reasons. 1 Peter 4 verse 15 tells us, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So wise advice there. So, so we shouldn't draw unnecessary attention to ourselves or do the wrong thing. Just by speaking the words of Jesus and just by who we are and our righteous deeds will bring attention enough. Why are Christians persecuted? If we look at the scriptures, we'll find out that there are those who through ignorance, or even now, or because they lack understanding, persecute. The Apostle Peter, speaking in Acts 3.17, says, Concerning Jesus, and now brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. And we even think of, um, just in terms of the, the table of the Lord this morning, what did Jesus say in Luke on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So there's an aspect of ignorance. Even if we look at the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he believed he was doing right in his former life. 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, he says, concerning himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You know, there's many fanatical Muslims, other fanatics. They sincerely believe that what they're doing is God's will. They believe they're killing infidels or whatever, that they're serving God. And it's ironic that some of the worst persecution, it's not from the godless atheists, but it's from the religious and it just sort of typifies the danger, the dangers of religion, you know, when it's taken to its full conclusion. Religion can be a dangerous thing. You know, I'm sure this morning here, here, like a point to myself, could say that before we were saved, we did things in ignorance. I said things about believers. I know I said things about Israel. I know I said things, laughed at people, preachers and but um, I was ignorant, and uh, I didn't know the ways of the Lord. And, you know, the ultimate judgment comes. It's not going to be an excuse. You know, we have plenty of reason, and there's um, plenty of witness out there, plenty of gospel being preached, and, and uh, we should have no excuse. But we do things through ignorance. That, that, is, that is a fact. So our walk and our testimony can be confronting to those who are ignorant or those who are in unbelief. Persecution, as I said, it's, it's, it's spread throughout time. You know, we can look at the Old Testament and we, um, 
I know Vernon has been preaching quite a bit from Hebrews chapter 11, but the great chapter of faith there tells us, Miguel Ellen might have mentioned this this morning as well, chapter 11, verse 35 to 38, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You know, what motivated these heroes of faith? I don't think it was thoughts of having the better or the best life now. They must really have known God in a, a special way. Of course, in the New Testament, there's, there's persecution. We can read in chapter 7 of Acts, the account of Stephen and his martyrdom, verses uh, 54 to 60. Or we can read in Acts 12, verse 2, how Herod killed James, the brother of John. You can read how John the Baptist was beheaded for his righteous stand about the, the um, wrong deeds of, of um, Herod. Then we come to the church age. And it's just a litany of persecution all the way right through it, a martyrdom. I mentioned the Vox's Book of Martyrs earlier on. There's 60 chapters in that book, and uh, there's a lot of interesting detail in there. But I just, just to give you a quick, quick snapshot, there's a section in there, the martyrs in the Colosseum. How many of the early Christians you know, died at the, um, the hands of, of or the, the mouths of lions, I should say, and others. Stephen being stoned to death, we just mentioned. Nero's persecutions where people were tarred and fettered, put on crosses and set alight. The Waldenses, the Inquisition, not that long ago. The burning of John Huss. What happened to Huguenots in France? The burning of Ridley Latimer. Cranmer's death. And there's a whole raft of information in that book and accounts of the many, many who have actually been persecuted and martyred through the ages. And it continues right to this day. Is there a value in persecution? You know, people can be tough. People can endure pain and the trials of life, the trials that are dealt out to them. In a sense, it shows, I guess, that we're alive, that, that we uh, can do that. But how do people handle those trials and that, and that pain? Many would learn, grow, and benefit, but others will become resentful and embittered. Pain and trial for Christ's sake is different. That type of trial should show us that we're alive spiritually. And uh, one of the effects of it is that the world becomes a lot less attractive to us. You know, we understand, I believe, and I believe many that I've mentioned here already who have undergone this, they would have understood who the God of this world really is. And they will have understood that the world is reserved for judgment and will be judged in due season. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, 
arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that had suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. You know, if we're honest here this morning, uh, we would have to say that we're left to our own devices. We don't get the corrective hand of the Lord. And if we don't get um, challenged and, and um, set back on the, on the straight course in many ways, we're going to drift from God, or if you like, backslide. It's just a natural way of things. And the, the cares and the affairs of this world, they have a way that, of consuming us, and they will consume us and overcome us if we're not careful. You know, sometimes, and I believe one day perhaps we'll be able to look back and we'll see when and why God has to grab us by the scruff of the neck and shake us up and it's for our own good. Whether it's persecution, whether it's illness, whatever, it could be that we need it. It could be the trials and tests of various types. It could be persecution. And the result is that instead of depending and leaning on our own strength, we're put in a situation where we have to trust in God. And um, Paul knew that the Lord was with him. And we know when we read through the accounts of Paul, he went through many, many trials. We read in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16 and 17, At my first answer, no man stood with me, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. We all know the saying that Tertullian is supposed to have, um, or accredited with penning to paper, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If you read Acts chapter 8, 1 to 4, there's an account of the great persecution that took place against the church in Jerusalem. And you'll also read that Paul was actually involved in that persecution. And the result was that the believers were scattered far and wide. But another result was also that the gospel was spread far and wide too. So yes, there's definitely value in persecution. And um, we may not like persecution, but um, good can and does come out of it. put another question here. What if we're not persecuted? So if we're not being persecuted, does it mean that we are lacking in our walk as Christians? It could do. We're definitely not supposed to hide our light under a bushel, the scripture says. And, um, you know, in the 2,000 years since Jesus walked in this earth, we, in this part of the world, now, in the last couple of hundred years, you know, it's really a blip we're in. It's just a short respite from the things I mentioned, like in the book of uh, Fox's Martyrs, Martyrs, what's been actually really going on. We're just in a temporary blip of, um, you know, where we have the blessings of, or at least the remnant of rule of law, religious freedom, democracy. And perhaps we've grown used to it and perhaps we take it for granted. But it wasn't always that way. But we should be thankful for it. And, you know, we can benefit from it while it still is here with us. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, 
supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. It's a nice thing to lead a peaceable life, but um, it's not guaranteed. You know, while we're not being persecuted, we can be prepared. It's a good thing to prepare. And there's a number of ways we can do that. And the scripture tells us, you know, not loving this world, taking up our cross daily, denying the flesh. And, um, and it goes without saying that living a righteous life. So we should be doing those things. And um, we, of course, should have a heart for the persecuted church. You know, while we're here, while we can, we should certainly help the persecuted church in whatever way we can. I know one brother here mentioned about writing to those in prison, who are in a prison. And whatever the Lord puts on our heart, we should do, whether it's giving, praying for, sending parcels, whatever. I'm sure there's a lot, lot, a lot we can do, but that we can do while we're not being persecuted. And um, we can train ourselves to be sacrificial. You know, we can stop pampering ourselves so much. I'm speaking to myself here as well, by the way. And uh, we can make sacrifices and, and do things for those who really need our help. And, um, you know, it's a good thing not to always take the, the easy way out when trials come. You know, we live in a life now where it's very easy if something happens in a church or somebody upsets you to, to disappear and go somewhere else. It's easy to um, not face issues. I've been guilty of that. You know, it's, it's easy to do the easy thing. But in the end, is it good for you? Does it build up character? Does it make you stronger? Probably not. So it's a good thing to, to, uh, to stick it out. It's a good thing to, to learn perseverance while we can, to develop character while we can. You know, there's, um, I mentioned before here, and uh, it came from a Paris Reedhead um, famous sermon, um, 10 Shekels in a Shirt, and it, it talked about utilitarian Christianity. Or in other words, what can the church do for me rather than how can I serve the body? You know, and it really is a question for all of us. You know, are we in the church because it's got um, good Sunday school or good programs? Or are we here for the fellowship of the saints, for the preaching of the word, for the breaking of bread, for the things that, that, that um, are really important? You know, I would say that if we're soft on these matters, and don't develop a bit of um, character now. What is it going to be really like when persecution does come? It's going to be a lot harder. So we can develop perseverance, patience, selflessness, love, and character. And that will more than prepare us. And with all the Beatitudes, it finishes with a promise. So what is a promise? Just as I said with the first beatitude, the reward is the kingdom of heaven. Not only are we able to rejoice and be exceedingly glad because our reward is great, also we're going to be in the company of the prophets and great men who have gone before. You know, I wonder when I wrote this, how many have suffered alone in a prison cell or were going to their deaths were comforted by those words that where they were going and who they were going to be with. You know, last night, there's a few of us here, we were at the Voice of the Martyrs, um, their dinner, and uh, there was a couple of very, very moving presentations, I have to say. There was one brother from uh, 
a Brazilian brother, and his church is based in Jordan. And he spoke about ministering to um, the churches in Mosul in Iraq. And of course, uh, looking back, it's not that long ago, you will know that all of that area was overrun by ISIS. And it was horrific things happened to, to Christians there. And, you know, he showed some slides about how the letter N or N for Nazarene would be put on buildings and, you know, that marked places of unbelievers. Sorry, I beg your pardon, places of believers. And um, when believers then were, were marked out like that, they had a, a choice. You submit to, to Islam and pay the, the jizya tax or flee and or hang around perhaps be killed. And um, he gave a testimony about um, a busload of believers. And uh, I do remember this, made, it did make the news. And he was 35 on the bus and they were ambushed by, by ISIS and 28 were killed. And he mentioned in the account about how one child survived because his father fell on him. His father was a heavy man and it uh, broke the child's ribs, but it saved the child. The father saved the child in death. And another woman at the back of the bus um, watched as her family were effectively killed, was shot herself, but survived and had a vision of Jesus on the bus coming up and basically saying, all, all will be well. Very, very moving. But um, these are the powerful things that happen during persecution that we perhaps don't see in our normal day-to-day -day Christian life. And then a second brother who was an American chap who was based in South Korea, but uh, ministered to the, the believers in the underground church in North Korea. And he had a couple of very interesting things to say that were very, very challenging. He mentioned about how in the Western church and the big churches in Korea, and Korea has got a huge um, missionary program there. They go out, go out to all the countries around. That their first thought is that the, you know, the, the transference of their type of Christianity, you know, the building of big buildings and money can solve all the issues. And uh, really the lesson was not a can't. That uh, really we needed the help of those that are actually in the underground church. It's us that needed to be ministered to because they had nothing, no material blessings, but they had Jesus, and Jesus was everything. And that was really the lesson that came out of it. And that, um, you know, they, nothing more could be done to them, but they retained Jesus. And, you know, it was a real inspiring thing to see that, you know, if you'd asked me last night how strong would be the church in North Korea, I'd say it would be probably very, very difficult, maybe not many, many there. But actually the opposite is true. It's thriving underground, and it's growing faster than the churches are here. But all, all in secret. He spoke about uh, how the, um, they could minister to North Koreans who went out into Siberia to, to work and bring in foreign currency back into North Korea. There was a mission field there. He spoke, there was some amazing testimonies. He spoke about how um, Ukraine, the Ukraine in the 1950s and 60s was a um, major revival going on there. And how schoolgirls, you know, girls who had just left school went out to Siberia, went to the Far East to um, spread the gospel. And then the, the counter side of the story was that when the, the Iron Curtain came down and when the Western churches had open access, how it actually undone much of the good work of the underground church and um, really, and now the opposite of turn is happening. Now the Ukraine is, is in war again and uh, 
the church has been persecuted again. It's growing. So the, the great lesson was that, that uh, persecution leads to growth, that, um, you know, material things don't guarantee the growth of the church. And it really comes down to, to depending on Jesus. And it touched me, touched me very much to hear what they, say, what they had to say. And really, I took away, too, the, the final words were that, that um, we fear, I guess, we fear about things like what happened during COVID. We fear about um, what's going to happen to us if our jobs are taken off us or if our bank accounts are shut down and all those things. And we've no need to fear because if we look at people who have nothing, they have everything. We still have Jesus, and Jesus is the most important thing. So, so the church was never going to be overcome. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. And I guess I've got, to, I've got to hit myself now and again and remind myself of that, that now what God has set in motion is not going to be undone by man. And um, he mentioned one other thing, and those, those here will remember. He described that there's only two types of people. There's the willing servants of God and the unwilling servants. So even those who are, and he mentioned Putin and the Chinese president and others, even those who are on the outside or on the face of it, are anti-Christian and anti-church. Um, They're actually the servants of God because in the overall scheme of things, they still get used for God's purpose. So some of the things they do still lead to the church growing. So it's a, that was an encouraging thing, I thought. So just to, um, to conclude, some thoughts. I hope what I said this morning is an encouragement to all of us. It's an encouragement to me. You know, that we're only passing through this world, and it really is a blip in terms of eternity. So, you know, what we, what we suffer here is going to pale in comparison to um, what lays ahead. I just thought I'd finish with a, um, and many here would notice, you'll find this in Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's the way the 12 disciples died, starting with John. We know that John was... Um, boiled in oil, in oil, but they didn't kill him. But John died of extreme old age. Judas Iscariot hung himself. And then we come to Peter. Peter was crucified head downward during the persecution of Nero, who we mentioned earlier on. Andrew died on a cross at Patrai in Achaia, a, a Grecian colony. James, the younger brother of the Savior, was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with a club. Bartholomew was flayed alive in Albanopolis, Armenia. James, the elder son of Zebedee, was beheaded at Jerusalem. The next one got a special mention last night by the first speaker. He spoke quite a bit about Thomas, who we always associate with being the, doubt, the doubter. Thomas the doubter was run through the body with a lance at Coromandel in the East Indies. He must have been a real missionary to go that far finally to give his life for the Lord. Philip was hanged against a pillar at Hierapolis in Abyssinia. Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows. And Simon died on a cross in Persia, which is now Iran. Now I'll just finish in one scripture, Romans 8, verse 17 to 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed 
in us. Amen.